Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MCG Rants, brought to you by Barrister and Man. Ross, how you doing today? I am uh, a little worse for wear, but I think I'll live. Are you physically okay? Because I just saw the <laughs> clip from today's episode. This is Thursday afternoon that we're recording, and if you haven't seen this clip yet, you'll probably be hearing this probably this weekend or maybe Monday for the show. Um, Brent just moved, so I don't know how free he is right this moment. Um, I know moving is a you know huge hassle. Yeah, like seven so. people in Roanoke have moved in the last two months, so I'm exactly. very aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I moved like six times in three years or something like that. It was like early like five years. It's not a competition. I'm not trying to win. Just saying, like it was yeah. awful. And I was that, like, I'm yeah, just that's pay the worst for- thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would I'm you just do gonna, that? I'm just gonna pay for it now. One of the moves was like less than a mile too, by the way. But I had to move all my stuff from one house to another house. Yeah. Like, I moved into a new house in uh, in Vegas. Anyway, uh, I don't want to run the clip, but Ross just shared a clip from Versus Live. I don't want to ruin any of it here. Uh, it is hilarious. Make sure you check it out. But Ross is physically okay. I don't know about his ego or anything about that, but physically he's okay. So, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see if I can make it through this emotionally. You know, I, I was just rushing home to try to record this podcast. I was so excited. And, you know, uh, in, in my rush, uh, events transpired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't get to record last week. Both of us were extremely busy. I was out of town. You had a bunch of people moving in and out of the, of the city. And Jim Davis was in town. So you were entertaining people as well. So just kind of couldn't ever link up. So sorry about that with everybody who listens at home. But we have a special episode for you all today. Um We'll be talking about magic a little bit, but you know, the, the topics are going to range pretty wildly today. If you haven't seen it on our Twitter or in our, in our Discord, we're going to do a, a – people call this a mailbag question, or if you've ever been in an airport or seen someone who's been in an airport with, with Twitter before, they do the, uh, the Ask Me Anything uh, kind of section. So I have not pre-read these questions, so I'm going to try to do it as much as I can while we're going through here. And usually I like to read them all ahead of time so I can like – you know, try to get them in order if there's like really good ones to follow after the others. But we're just going to be shooting from the hip on this episode today. Yeah, we will. Uh, uh, I mean, we shoot from the hip basically every episode because that's all I know how to do. Uh, you know, I only play one way, but we're going to lean it. We're going to steer into the skid even more for this episode. <laughs> I like how you say that it's the only way I know how to play. When out of the two of us, I'm way more of the roll with it, figure it out of the fly guy. And you're way more of the I am prepared and mathematically know all the right things here. Yeah, but you know. So sometimes you gotta. You, mm-hmm. you, sometimes you don't want to break the illusion, Tana. Yeah, we might get a special guest in the episode a little bit today. My dog is uh, very excited. I don't know what's up with her. I've played with her a bunch today, but she's got extra energy or something, and she's staring at me right now. And I have a feeling she might start barking at some point soon. Awesome. So just letting everybody know if you if you hear that for the episode, sorry. We'll try to do as much as we can. We will translate um, Benny's barks for you, yeah. so you can know what she is saying. Yeah. Exactly. Because exactly. I'm sure so. she has many opinions on what is going down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, let's just go ahead and roll right into it because uh, we've got some good ones. And I really wanted to, to lead off with this question because I think it's very apt with what's going on. This is from Lee McLeod on Twitter uh, at Lee MCLEO. If you want to follow him, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Just absolutely yeah, hilarious right. person. I love his sense of humor. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, his question is. Give me the podcast story of how y'all kept doing the podcast despite initial premise collapsing and just to keep it and just to keep doing it week after week anyway. Uh, I think the easiest answer is just sure power of will and just stubbornness is probably a good way to put it. How, how do you? Oh, there we go. There's there's oh, the first one. You know, the it, it wasn't really a singular point where we decided and then immediately shifted gears like we we thought about rebranding for a while as pioneer was dying 
um, and and it you know in typical fashion dragged our feet a little bit on actually pulling the plug on the the initial branding of the podcast. But the decision to keep going was not particularly difficult because by the time we got to that point, we were several months in at least, and we had already developed or something. Yeah. yeah, and we had already developed you know a a good rapport with our audience and we had developed certain aspects of the podcast that we're certainly going to live on through a rebrand. And, and that's what got tip. That's what got highlighted in the new branding for it in MTG rants. You know, we rant about a lot of non magic stuff. We get to magic things. We rant about magic things too. And that stuff is, is non, that's not all pioneer specific. So, you know, if you go back and listen to the first like five episodes, I think they're a lot less ranty and a lot more talk for six hours about 7,000 deck lists while Tannen slowly hates me more and more. That was episode two, by the way. There was a lot of contemplation on how to get away with murder during yeah. that, those two episodes because it was so long it got pushed into two. Yeah. But yeah, like like pretty much Ross nailed it on the head. I mean, it's something that we've, you and I have like talked about this premise before it ever happened. Um, I, I guess we could, I, I could give a quick story. So, um, Ross and I had always talked about like you know I think you I think the way you phrased it was like you wanted to broaden your magic uh, portfolio kind of I don't know if you said it exactly yeah, in those many that's words a, that's a good way of putting it yeah you know you you'd already had a, a couple other things and you were looking for another thing and you know I had another podcast or I had another two podcasts finish up that I wasn't on anymore uh, both of those have some sad stories attached to them whatever we're not going to get into that here or there but you know I was kind of free up at the time. And I was taking a step back from competitive magic, so I needed like an outlet. And I remember, uh, I think it was like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. someday, whatever it was, you know, uh, a, a Watsi update, uh, like an announcement happened. And it was, I think it was a banning, if I remember right, right? When they announced Pioneer as a format. I think it was a, a day of a banning or something like that. Something big, annou- some big announcement happened, right? Yeah. But buried in the announcement further down was they announced the format of Pioneer. And I remember I read it. And, like, kind of freaked out. And, like, I look on Twitter at all the reactions and everybody's reacting to, like, the big announcement or whatever. But, like, they didn't announce the new format that got announced. So, like, you know, I tweeted. I was like, this is, like, actually kind of big. and It's sort of gaining some momentum. And, like, j- just for, for for reference sake, let's say it happened at 10 a.m. my time. Like, just, just so you have that reference. Let's just say that happened then. I have a, uh, I have a text to Ross at, like, 10.04 a.m. A response from Ross at like 10.05 a.m. And the Twitter account, the email, and everything else was made in at like 10.08 a.m. So within the first yeah. 10 minutes of the announcement, we already had everything together. And I had our uh, editor. Like, Keep in mind that Tannen is telling you this in central time. So if you live in a real time zone, that's more like 11. Yeah, whatever. That's what I'm saying. If it was 10 a.m. is what I'm saying. So I'm just telling you within the first. All, all the Watsi announcements go up around 11 a.m. Eastern. So I think yeah, you're right. You're just yeah. giving it to them in central time. And yeah, yeah exactly. like we literally like made the decision to do that. I had to write an article that day because Monday is my writing day. And we recorded the first episode after I was done writing uh, a m- Monday evening and then released it, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, it was a big deal. We wanted to be the first too. you know, like we wanted to be, you know, the first one out there. Like, I think I made multiple Twitter accounts and like multiple email addresses just to make sure we would get the name we wanted. You know, like I, you know, I took, I took like MTG Pioneer, Pioneer MTG, like I took like multiple variations of it or whatever. So just to make sure that we could all get it. And then, you know, the rest is history or whatever, as they say. All right. Yeah. That's, that's the good story from the podcast is the fact yeah. that like, I think you sent me the message like, we should do a podcast about this. And my response was just, I'm in. <laughs> no, I, I think originally your podcast, your answer was, uh, what is Pioneer? 
<laughs> and then I like, I think I like sent you a screenshot or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, in like immediately, like ten seconds later, in <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. You're like, what the fuck's Pioneer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, I, was like, I, I, was like, I, I was of like, course had not seen the announcement yet. Yeah. I was probably like reading something about the Utah Jazz, and it's like, oh, magic shit is happening. Or you get your your news the way a lot of people do if they are in MTG Twitter, where they just get it secondhand because it's going to get retweeted a lot. But only yeah. like the big announcement was getting talked about and retweeted. Yeah, you know, like people hadn't really sunk in yet that like. Oh shit! They just announced a new a new format. You know, we had had a new format in like a re, an actual wizard sponsored new format in ten years. Yeah, you know, so I was excited about that. All right, so next question. You good? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the Mikey Hopkins. What's up, Mikey? By the way, a uh, good friend of mine. He asks mayonnaise or Miracle Whip on your sandwich. I am going to look very dumb here, and I have no problem with it. What is the difference? So Miracle Whip is like a non-dairy frozen like it's supposed to be like whipped cream but apparently people use it like mayonnaise which i've never understood and i've never seen anyone do but i've heard it claimed that the people do this i've literally never seen it though also Uh, i'm not a big mayo fan i put mustard on my sandwiches see uh growing up mayo was like one of the only condiments i would use i was a big mayo fan and i've definitely stepped back but i'm still a a fan of it when it comes to it's mostly just food glue Honestly, is what it yeah. is. It's there to like hold your stuff together or whatever. But that's just kind of you know that's how my older brother ate his sandwiches. It's how my mom made her sandwiches. So like I, that's how I you know learned to eat my McDonald's hamburger. You know like that's just the way it was. Yeah, I will say uh, that it, this also sounds weird, but I've done it and it works very well. Is that you should use mayonnaise for the spread on the outside of grilled cheese sandwiches. Mm-hmm. So it it you don't get Ooh. that nice buttery Ooh. flavor. But okay. you get an incredible crust, and you get a little sort of egg egg bread kind of flavor. It's, it's I, really good. I know you've probably heard of this, but I've heard a lot of people say that mayonnaise is one of their secret ingredients for turkey. Like when they're baking turkey yeah, and stuff yeah. for Thanksgiving and stuff, it, it helps seal in the moisture. Apparently. Well, it, it, just, it just adds more fat to a, to a very yeah. lean bird. So it's not sealing in it. Like, nothing ever seals in moisture, but it just adds yeah. more fat. It sure. just adds more. It just and, congeals more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so like some people will literally just slather the bird in in mayonnaise. It looks really it. weird and off-putting when you see it. You just yeah. see the bird like covered in the but mayo. And, yeah, <laughs> and then you also get great color on the outside because of all of that fat and really good skin. Um, my, uh, my family's secret, and it's worked well for years, is brining the turkey beforehand. I remember the first year my, my mom did it, and this was before I went vegetarian, and it just blew every other Thanksgiving turkey I'd ever had away. I was probably, like, uh, early 20s or something. Uh, and it, it was just incredible. So they've been doing it ever since, like, you know, about a decade now. So I, I fully support brining the turkey. I've heard about the mayonnaise trick. I'm not sure how well that goes. Yeah, I, I, I need to try it out in person. I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually had I've seen it, obviously. Um, Brutal Equinox says, this is a friend of mine, a local friend of mine named Riley. A uh, very good friend of mine. Also, like, my employee from time to time, which is nice. He uh he wants to know what got you into magic and what has kept you there. Uh, what slash who slash how? However, you seem fit to answer. Um. So, um, my magic origin story um initially starts with my older brother, who taught me how to play just to have somebody to play with around the house. And this is like mid nineties, but I never really like played seriously or played on my own. And he quit playing when he got to high school. And so I quit, of course. And then when I got to eighth grade, um, I was going to a new school 
because there was a, it was a brand new school. It was literally the first year the school was open. It was a magnet school, one town over that was had that heavily stressed science, math, and technology. So like there, there were, you know, it was like Pentium three computers in every classroom, which at the time was like, you know, near top of the line. And there were like four, like, like four to five in every single classroom, uh, like three computer labs on every floor because you had one in every cluster as opposed to one for each grade. Uh, because it was a sixth, seventh, and eighth grade school, and each grade it was divided into three clusters. So you like you had your like there was just a ton of access to that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, you know my parents were just like, yeah, this is the school that you know he should go to. So I was there, and it was uh, most of the kids were from that town where the school was, and there were three other towns in Connecticut that also sent kids, mine and two others, and so it was literally like. It was probably like 60% kids from that town and the other 40% was evenly divided among our, third, our other three. So, you know, I barely knew anyone. And the friends that I made early on all played Magic. And I was like, oh, shit, I know what that is. Like, you know, and so that's what got into it was just, a you know, as a way of making new friends. And then I eventually started going to the card store and got really into it. Um, and then, you know, what's kept me around it is that it's my job. <laughs> um, so... Now, like, yeah, now it's a completely different thing. Like, my, magic is not my hobby, though I do still have fun doing it. And sometimes I, I do do it for fun, but not a ton. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just around it because it's my job, which is not a bad thing. It it's, sounds that, like, that sounds like that sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. It sounded like a Dr. Seuss outset, actually. <laughs> um, what got me into magic, I still remember this. So I went to, uh, you know, like the local grade school, which, you know, was whatever. Anyway. Uh, I remember yeah. recess one day. This was before computers existed when Tana was in grade school. Yeah, it was. Yeah, our, we were actually in black and white. Color hadn't been yeah. invented yet. So we were studying by candlelight. Yeah, exactly. So um, I just remember it was recess one day, and uh, I was pretty like not popular. I don't want to say unpopular. Unpopular is not the right word. I was just not popular. You know, I was like yeah, different, hyper. I was a nerd, etc. Anyway. Uh, he, he had developed really. the, the devilishly handsome good looks that we all know him for today. <laughs> Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> I was definitely an awkward looking kid. Anyway, I was, um, I, uh, I still remember this. I was like, you know, walking around at recess or whatever. And I see these two, uh, kids that are one class above me. You know, I think I was in like, you know, third grade, maybe they were fourth, et cetera, et cetera. And like, they were sitting in the grass and they had something in between them, like either a jacket or like a book or something on the ground. And they were, you know, I saw them like. I saw them playing magic. I didn't know at the time that's what it was, but you see them moving cards and stuff, yeah. right? And uh, and they're cards up, that don't look anything like anything you've seen before. Yeah, and I walk up and I was like, "What is this?" And I see some cards. I still to this day remember. I saw some like some crazy looking cards. You know, like back then the the arts were like very different than what you would they, see. They were a lot more dramatic, I would say. Yeah, they're very dramatic, very striking. And I was just like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." Like, what's going on? What is this? They're like, yeah, it's this game called Magic the Gathering. This is like late 94, I think, is when this is happening, if I remember right. Because I was, t I remember being 10 when I bought my first pack. And so I was born in, in 84. So uh, that's kind of how it happened. You know, I took long breaks from here or there for like poker, real life stuff, college, etc. But like, uh, you know, I got real competitive, you know, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And that's what generally has brought me back is like, the, the desire to compete. Plus the friends that I've made along the way are amazing. Yeah. You know, like how how long did it take from the the point where you you know first saw them on the on the playground or whatever or in the cafeteria? Those are usually the two places you you saw kids mm -hmm. playing magic at school. Um, from how long did it take for you to start playing competitively? Were you casual for many years? 
Uh, I played casually f f forever, and then yeah. I stepped away from the game for a long time. Like, I didn't play at all. Like, so, so, so I, your first stint, you you didn't get competitive I at didn't all. competitive at all. Like, at all. So, I didn't even play the... Like, there was a long gap where I didn't even play the game. Like, like for like five or six years. Like, I would see coverage. You know, I saw it on ESPN and be like, oh, I, I remember this. And I'd look at it or like, you'd see it at InQuest or whatever. But I remember I was in high school. And it might have been like my senior year. And I was just over at my friend's house. And he had a binder, like, facing away from me so I could see the spine. And it was the typical binder everybody had in the 90s. It was the blue sports binder with the huge rings and you had to buy the pages yeah. for. The same one everybody has. Like, all this, if you go to a store that's been around for a long time, they still have it in their store. Right? And I was like, oh, cool sports cards. You know, because like, I'm, I'm an athlete. Uh, I mean, I'm an athletics fan or whatever. And I grab and open up and it was magic cards. And the guy got, like, half embarrassed for a second. I was like, no, dude, I played this game, too. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, I still play or whatever. This local store, they play every Thursday night. And I was like, dude, I think I still got cards. And so I went with him one Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, just, like, hadn't stopped playing since, really. I still remember the first pack I opened coming back and being utterly confused. I know the first card that I saw that was, like, more of a modern-day card was Spiritmonger, and I thought it was fake. I was like, there's no way this is a real magic card. Because think about the cards that I saw when I was a kid. Yeah, you're looking at Crawlworms. And they were very good. Crawlworm was great. And then uh, the first pack I opened had a Marari in it, which literally references the stack. And I remember I walked up to somebody. I was like, hey, are you, like, good at magic? Like, do you play, like, tournaments and stuff? And they were like, yeah, like, you know, we play, like, you know, the rules. And I was like, where is the stack? Do I put cards, like, on top of Marari? Like, how does this work? I like, And they just started laughing at me, obviously. So they, they explained it to me. They actually did a good job of explaining it. But, like, I didn't even really know how to play anymore. You know what I mean? Because, like, the game was just so drastically different. So I had to, like, learn how to play and stuff that way. So Because yeah. yeah. I, you know, when I, when I was in eighth grade, it, that was the 0102 school year. So I learned very, like, it, you know, September of 2001, right when Odyssey came out. And yeah, so I was you're just, a little ahead of me, actually, from yeah. from the second coming. Yeah. And I was just playing with my friends most of that year. And uh, and then I learned about the card store and, you know, F&M basically late that school year. I think the first time I went was May. And then I started going regularly over the summer when I didn't have school anymore. And I got my DCI card in the, the next year, in, in May of 2003, playing uh, Blue Grin Madness at Regionals. So I, I've been playing competitively for 18 and a little so over 18 years. You've been playing competitively longer than I have, for sure. Yeah. And you've also played in many more tournaments than I have. Yeah. I was way more sporadic. I, I took years. about, uh, I would say, um, like an eight-month break or so near the end of high school when the first group of friends that I would go to the store with all graduated and were like going off to college. And then I uh, eventually sort of glommed on with another group. And then I, I wasn't playing as much in my last couple of years of college. I would say definitely the last two years, and I was starting to decline a lot, even my sophomore year of college, but I played quite a bit my freshman year. So I, I've had some gaps in there, but for the most part, I, I've been playing pretty consistently. Huh. All right. Uh, next question is from Brozak, another local person to me. What's up, Brozak? Uh, what is your all-time favorite match of Magic? It could be your own match or one you've watched, coverage or no coverage. I'll also accept top three matches if a decision point is hard to reach. If you need to think about this, I have a few that have popped in my head already. I, I have one, uh, uh, and I'm always going to go with mine because I'm a vain egotist. But it's the first thing that pops into your head, though. So it's like yeah, exactly. And it, it was a match I played against uh, Zan Syed, and we were playing in the top eight of an RPTQ. So we're playing for the slot, and we were playing the four color Sahili mirror in that I standard this. format. Yeah, and. I had just fall. I had fallen off the train after the previous pro tour, and this is right after I, I had moved. Um, 
no, this is, this is a year after I, I moved. So I felt I, when I moved to Roanoke, I had played, I was queued for the, the upcoming Pro Tour and I'd played the previous one, but I, I was at like, you know, 10 or so Pro Points. I needed to do well. I needed to requalify. And I didn't. I, I scrubbed that first Pro Tour. Um, I mulliganed to four playing for day two. Uh, and then ripped Stony Silence against Affinity in my zoo deck, and then my opponent had their Stubborn Eye or Spell Pierce. I can't remember which one. Why it was in their deck is beyond me, but um, a really frustrating match to lose. But regardless, I managed to like grind through some GPs and barely hit Silver. Uh, so then I played the Fall Pro Tour again, and then I was queued, uh, and I, I, I qualified for another one. And so I was queued for the, the next Winter Pro Tour, and I scrubbed again, and I fell off. And so now I'm... Um, or maybe I didn't play the Winter Pro Tour. I don't know. But I was like, I had fallen off, and it was the year after, and I was like, I was going hard trying to test for this, and I was the only person around in Roanoke at the time that was testing for RPTQs, because everyone else was either, like, not caring team. at all or queued for everything. Yeah. So, um, and I, like, started testing with, some with like, the, the Golgari Constrictor deck, and eventually it was like, yeah, that deck's very mediocre, but I think this four color Sealy deck is busted. And the, the like the I remember like the first league I played with it, like I was like, holy shit, this deck was good. And I was like recording my matches, sending them to Brad so he could look them over. I was like t taking notes on every match that I played. I was doing all, all all this shit because I really you know wanted to to qualify. And so I show up and my I thought my list was really good, and my deck was good, and. I get to the top eight pretty easily. I, I lost to uh, Alex Majelton in the Swiss, uh, but I get to the top eight and I'm playing Zan in a mirror. So it's going to be a tough match. And if you don't know anything about the four CC Healy mirror, like the first like four turns were really important because uh, you, whoever like got ahead was able to then have the luxury of playing around the other person's combo. But if you fell behind on the battlefield, you often just had to take risks and like, just hope they couldn't combo you on certain turns. Right, right. Yeah. Because you had to regain, re or at least get back to parity on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, so the opening turns are really important. And basically all you wanted to do was have turn two Servant into turn three Chandra, plus your Chandra into a Harness Lightning on your opponent's turn two play, and like you were golden. And I don't know if he did exactly that, but he, he definitely got ahead in in game one. And he's, at one point, like, he's just so far ahead that I have to just start jamming and hoping he can't combo me. And he has Sahili on the battlefield the entire time, and he just never finds Felidar Guardian. And I'm, I turn the game around, and I'm literally about to win or, like, be insurmountably ahead. And the very last turn that he has to draw Felidar Guardian and still beat me, he draws it. And I'm just like, oh, God. So we played, like, a very long game that I narrowly missed coming back from. And so then we go to game two, and the same thing happens where he gets really far ahead early and this time it's even further. I think he had I think at one point he had untapped untapped with three different planeswalkers in the battlefield because he was playing Nahiri's in his build. So I think he had Nahiri, Chandra, Sahili all on the battlefield, untapped and activated all of them. And I ended up winning this game by doing the same thing just like hope you don't draw Fellow Guardian. He didn't for a while. All I remember myself doing was blinking uh Oath of Chandra like 7000 different times. And using its triggered ability to deal damage to different planeswalkers, which you could do back then, and like just managed to somehow win this game that also took forever. So now we're going to game three, and and not, the other three matches from the top eight are all done before we're done with game two. There's just one judge left, like the, the people in the store and us, and we play game three, 
and literally the same thing happens. He pulls ahead early, and I have to just take the risk again, and I manage to turn the game around and win. It was probably at least an hour and a half. I would say it was more like a two-hour match, and I think I played about as well a good a match of Magic as I possibly could in a very high-leverage spot. So it's one of those matches that I like wish was on camera. At the end, like I couldn't quite believe that I had won it. Zan was obviously in disbelief, and literally the judge who was sitting next to us was also in disbelief. Like you could see it on his face. Like it, it was uh, in, just incredible. Uh, for me, there's there's like a couple personal ones. Um, there's like the the playing for top eight with Tron mulling to four on the draw versus Infect game three against Aaron Barrich and winning. Yeah, that's a good you know, one. Like, yeah, just like a, some absurd ones. Practically any match from the team tournaments where, you know, because you and I got really close to the team tournaments because, like, you always sat in the middle and I was always on your right. And any of the matches where, like, you would look I, over. I also always watched Tannen's matches because Brennan was always playing an unplayable pile that I couldn't bear to look at. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, any, pretty much any of the games where, like, you would look over and, like, I could see on your face that you're like, all right, well, he, you know, he's he's going to lose this game. And I would just, like, be like, yeah, we're up a game or whatever. Like, you know, five, yeah. five minutes later, you're just like, what happened? And I'm just like, yeah, don't worry about it. I remember whatever. at one point, like, turning over and Tannen literally just has, like, a single land in play. And his opponent has, like, Chalice on one and some sort of Eldrazi. And I'm just like, there is no way. And, I, you know, then I look over two turns later, you've got, like, a young Pyromancer out. You're starting to, like, make some tokens and chump block. And then, and then you know, five turns later, I'm I'm, sh- I'm done with my match. And I look over and I say, like, you know, are you up or down? And he's like, oh, we're up. It's like, okay. Yeah, don't don't question it. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. Like, because I got I to gotta say that, like, the good Delver games are some of the most rewarding games of Magic that I've, like, ever played in my life. And there's been a few. There's, like, there's one from, I think it was a a quarterfinals and we weren't the, the 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 camera feature we were like the one that was right up by the you know we had a big crowd like on the corner of the feature area yeah and i was playing a mirror and i think through the i think i two owed my opponent if i remember right but it being very difficult this is the same uh this is the same one where that we talk about where brennan calls his shot on scarab god he's like this would be a good time to draw scarab god and he like it, draws it, it he literally said and i remember his words exactly this is where I draw the Scarab God as he's slowly peeling the card across the table. Like he did that thing. He picks it off the top of his deck, puts it face down on the table and starts peeling it slowly towards the edge and then just flips it over. Like he's serving it on a fucking tray. And yeah, I lost my shit. I like, I had to restrain myself because there was a match, a camera match going on on behind us. I didn't. I yelled. Yeah. I literally like turned out of my chair, like raised my hands, my like I'm fucking ground, screaming hallelujah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at a um, church revival. I think that's probably like one of the matches in my life I really wish was on camera the most because it was a mirror. And I remember my opponent being very gracious, gracious and de- gracious, gracious and defeat because our match was so damn good. You know, it's one of those ones where like it's back and forth all the, like you play the match. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, like somebody even tweeted about it afterwards. They were like, I know this match was on a camera, but Tana just played one hell of a mirror match or whatever. Like, blah, blah, blah. Because like, there was multiple people. Like, there was this one dude. I'll never forget him. And I, I could see him out of the corner of my eye because he was, like, really close. He's, like, in my peripheral vision. Like, he's the guy, like, standing over. Like, he's center of our match, you know, where he could see, like, both hands. And when the match was over and I finally won, it's one of those ones where, like, you're so concentrated in it, watching it, that, like, nothing really exists around you. And you come out of it. You're, like, almost in, like, a daze. And like that was not a pun, by the way. And so I just I just look over <laughs> at the guy, me, and his eyes are big, 
and you know you you have that like momentary connection where i'm just like you saw that right and he's like yeah 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 i saw that and like it's one of those games too where like i think i joked with you afterwards where i'm like man i really wish you could have seen this match because i think my my opponent like 2.5 to 1 cantripped on me if you get what i'm saying like for every one that i cast they had like one and a half more and those games are extremely difficult when you're not keeping up as many brainstorms and ponders as they are stuff like that so like there's those games like there's a few camera matches that are really sweet that are cool my one of my favorite ones ever i mean like there's also some of the all-time greats that pop into my head when i hear this like one of the first ones that i remember seeing where i was like this person's a master when i first came back i started watching it's pro tour la and it was uh uh which ruel brother was it which it's not um, it's antoine one, it's, one la yeah it's it, it's antoine versus i think it was kinji sumura who was the semifinals or no the, yeah this is the semifinals. The, yeah, and he's playing against... Um, so it's, it's Demir Tog versus yeah. Dredge Tog. Yeah, and there's this turn where, like, he duresses his opponent, and he has a blue mana up, and his opponent, like, uh, you know, mana leaks his duress or something like that, and he has a force spike in his hand, and he just, like, immediately bends the duress. And I remember because... I think this is when Mike Flores was doing coverage. And he talks about it, he goes, oh, that was that's strange. Like, he had a force spike there, and he didn't force through his duress. But then he starts to figure it out. It goes to the next turn, and the guy plays his third land. And you see him, he tanks on whether he should play this Psychotog, because he's got three mana, and he's like, I, I don't want to get this force spike. But then you see him mentally be like, oh, but he didn't force spike the mana leak or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Flores is talking this through the time. He's like, he's like, yeah, this is such a masterful play, or blah, blah. And so the guy just like... You know, plays Psychotog, and he's like, go. Like, he expects it to resolve, and Antoine's like, I have the Force Spike, or he, like, Force Spikes him, and you could see the, like, you could see the look at his, and I remember right, Flores goes, Antoine should stand up right now, take his shirt off, and the shirt underneath should just say, I am a master, or something like that. Like, it just, it was something along those lines, and I remember that was a, like, that was a play that when I watched it, it's like one of those moments where, like, you see something, and it levels you up. I didn't just, like, see that that was a great play, but I understood why. And it yeah. made me a better magic player seeing it. And, and it's it's one of those plays that you have you have to make the duress play quickly. You have to make yeah. bid the duress immediately yeah, in order to sell it. Yeah. But it's a very good spot to bluff, and it's a good bluff to run. And but it and it's it's very obviously something that Ruel thought of beforehand. Like yeah. he he literally is casting that duress, knowing if my opponent mana leaks it, I'm bidding this because I need to to force spike a psychotog. And he yeah. he's thinking about that beforehand so there's so much foresight that has to go into that play that's that's the important thing it's not just read and react to what your opponent's doing it's anticipating what my opponent could be doing and could have and you know deciding and and maybe like you know the guy doesn't play the psychotog or maybe they don't have it and like that that force spike ends up being dead and it that like that's a play that could cost you the game but you're making that it's a risk reward thing that you're making and he got paid off for it and and uh, th- those are always really cool to watch because it, it just shows you the the mastery of, of such little things. It, it re- reminds me of like an exact moment that came up, and uh, I had like actually talked to Brennan about this before. Um, it was us playing at PT twenty five, so I'm playing Legacy at the PT, and he's sitting next to me because he's playing Modern. It's one of the first times you know we've sat next to each other, and I had told him about this play that I've been dying to make for years in Legacy, and it never come up, and it came up at the Pro Tour. So it's like when it happened, I'm like literally like kicking Brennan under the table to like get his attention. But it's just it's me playing against like a rug delver opponent who obviously has a stifle, right? And I have like a fetch land in play, and they've been like leaving up a blue mana or leaving up a fetch land like the whole game to like, you know, stifle my fetch land. And um I can't remember if this is a sideboard game or game one. I think it might have been game one. Anyway. My opponent casts a brainstorm 
with uh, like one man up. They're like brainstorm. So immediately I'm like, okay, crack my fetch. And I go to mark it down. He's like, all right, crack mine. I'm like, yeah, resolves. And he's like, stifle your fetch land. And so the brainstorm and the, and the, and the stifle run play, and I just get the fluster storm, both of them. So you walk them oh, into yeah. the stifle you get the double, you know, you get the double play with a Fletcher Storm, and it's like it sounds really simple, but like you walk your opponent into this devastating play. You know, it's utterly devastating play, and I've been wanting to do it for years because like you can't force people to do things too often. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's like it's when like you the, do like the, the wasteland trick so that you can daze them. I was just gonna say, yeah, you've you've heard that story. I've talked about this a lot against a Miracles player where like they have five mana, one of which is a fetch land, and they just cast a. Uh, Jason the Mind Sculpt, and I was like, Wasteland or Fetchland? And they're like, Crack in response. I'm like, Daze your Jason response. And he was just like, Oh my God. And like, put it, and I was just like, Yeah, you'll never make this mistake again. But like, the time it happens, it's really, really bad. And then my last answer to this, because I, I have a match that sticks out. Um, and since we mentioned Brennan, it's the Brennan match. Brennan's first trophy with the black green deck in standard, uh, I think he plays Dykeman in the finals in like kind of a mirror. Like, Dykeman's build was different, you know, at the time. BB um, playing for top eight. Yeah, you should definitely. Um, I don't think this that this is not the Atlanta one. This is a different one. Oh, okay. This one maybe, maybe mine was the second one. Yeah, yours was the, his was the second one because he won the secret. You know, the ones at an invitational one. They, yeah, yeah. no coverage. The secret one was the one where he beat me playing for top eight. Right. I was watching the match and y'all were playing. It's the fastest I've ever seen you play. Besides maybe your your blue moon matchup versus uh, yeah Ironworks. Anyway. Yeah, I was like like we we literally both sat down and Brendan's like you know we have to play at lightning speed to try to finish. And I'm like yep, and then we just both did and we still barely finished. And like game one, we each traded punts that were decisive in games one and two. So like they should have been split, but then split the other way. And then in game three, like I I punted that he punted, then I punted back, and it was just uh, <laughs> just from trying to play so quickly. Yeah, it was like speed chess. And so this is one that if you're interested in, I definitely recommend everybody go back. I don't know the exact one this, but you can just Google you know Brendan DeCandio wins and open. Pretty positive. It's the finals against Dykeman. It's called by Cedric and Patrick. And I'm pretty positive this is what got Bron- this is one of the f- things that got Patrick to to hire the Candio to do uh, you know to, like work on that game. Yeah, they worked on. It's like I think this was like the first. I think it was one of the first times you realized how good Brennan was, and I had always known. I was like Brennan's world class. Like people just hadn't really, and it's kind of like the game that you and I talk about in Las Vegas as well, where like we cannot believe you won this game. Like you and I would never have won it in a million years, but this one you get to like watch it on camera. You get to watch it unfold. And nothing is Dykeman. I think Dykeman's an absurdly good magic player. He's probably better than I am. But he gets just outdone, like outplayed in this match. And it's it's unbelievably good how Brennan is. And like there's a there's a specific turn where he has to make some play that leaves him dead on the crackback. But he can and he but he has to make the play because he has to Dykeman has to believe that he drew something that keeps him from dying. You yeah. get what I'm saying? So he has to make this play that kills himself unless unless Dykeman calls his bluff. But like and. You see him, he starts to figure it out, and Patrick's like up, up on it too. And Patrick's like, you have to find it in yourself to make this play. And that's how you win tournaments. And then Brennan does it, and you could hear the admiration in Patrick Sullivan. You know, you can hear the just like, it's almost like a proud dad moment or, or something where you just like, you can tell he's like almost rooting for Brennan. He's trying to be impartial, but like at that point, he's like, yeah. he's playing too well to not Because root for as soon as Dykeman fails to call the bluff, everything unravels from yeah. there. And like then it then it's just going through the motions. Like from that point, Brennan had it all planned out. It, it was incredible. I know the match you're talking about. There's also like some really good top decks in the match too. And like you know, there's multiple times where if anyone's ever watched Brennan play, there's multiple times where he stops, he puts his hand down, he takes his glasses off, and he rubs his hands through his face and his hair. And when that's happening, you know it's on. 
because he's trying to figure like right then and there that's when everything is is he's he's got his back against the wall he's trying to figure it all out and it's my favorite moments to watch him work from there because he's just utterly world class all right we take it forever on this one uh this next question is just question. For you. yeah this, yeah very good thanks prozac this next one's just for you for ross what if like uh what is life like as a full-time mtg content creator mtg player as someone who works a nine to five in an office, I'd be curious to hear about what your day-to-day routine is like and how you view your career. Um, I mean, I imagine it's not that different from a lot of other contract work, right? Um, for the most part, I have on, on a regular week, I have a pretty set schedule where I write my article on Mondays. I do verses Tuesday and Thursday, and that's my normal content. If I have to squeeze in like a what we'd play column or a factor fiction column, the extra stuff that we do on the website, I can squeeze that in. And then I, you know, and then we squeeze in the podcast, uh, you know, based on your schedule as well. So the, the versus stuff and the, the, um, and then writing, I generally do on a set schedule and everything else I just kind of squeeze in around it. That said, like if there was ever a day where like I needed to be available all day Monday to do something. You know, whatever it might be, like, I could then just, like, try to write on Sunday or try to, like, ask Cedric, can I get pushed back this week? So I have that. I have more flexibility with the with specifically the writing part. Obviously, Versus has much less flexibility. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of, like, half contract, like, and then for, you know, six or eight hours I'm in the office uh, of, of a given week. But the main thing is I just, you know, with with Magic content, we get paid pretty reasonably as far as the the, the hourly rate. There's just not a lot of volume. So, you know, I'm able to support myself and live comfortably, but I just get a lot of free time. So that's the good part of my job. Um, obviously, right now, it's a lot more free time because I'm not traveling. So you, you, if you, you know, for a lot of people traveling to tournaments, again, as a hobby, for me, I just count it as part of my job. Then there's a lot less free time and I've got to, you know, budget more appropriately. But it, it's been, you know, it's been one of the few positive aspects of, uh, of the pandemic is that I've been able to, uh, you know, finally experience what it's like to not have all of my weekends taken up, which has been yeah. true for about a decade. So I kind of like it, honestly, I, I miss like being a homebody. So, yeah, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I'm, I'm going to like it getting on the road again when I first do it. And then six months in and be like, God, I just want to like be home for a couple weeks. And you know, th- that's, a, that's the one, the real positive thing is that you do have that flexibility. Like th- if there's a tournament that I really just don't want to go to, like I'm just feeling burnt out. I can just take that week off. And, you know, sometimes I can just take a week off from writing. Like, you know, I think like a month ago, I just had a day where like I woke up and I was like, I have, n- I have nothing to write about. I like, I have, I just have nothing whether it's writer's block or just like out of ideas. And I could just message Cedric and be like, Oh, can I just take this week off? And he's, you know, it, uh, it happens to me probably once or twice a year. And yeah, every time he's always like, yeah, that's fine. Not, not a problem. So, uh, you know, it, it just ends up with a lot of flexibility and, um, and a, a good amount of free time, which is great. I would say the negative aspects of it, um, you know, I don't have the, as clear a delineation between like my work space and my home space, because I write in the same place that I live. Uh, that's not as big of a deal, but there's also when you're a, when you're a contractor with anything, this happens with streamers too. And you know, I've done a little bit of streaming as well. There's always this push to do more. You know, when you're working a nine to five, like you put in your hours, you get your work done and then you, you're, you go home and you don't have to think about it. Generally, yeah, very clear set parameters. Yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah, when you're doing contract work, like every time, every hour you're not working, 
you could potentially be thinking like, well, I could be putting in more work, or like I could be grinding mm-hmm. harder. And that leads oh, I get this. to yeah. very <laughs> negative incentives, and it leads people to start working 60, 80, 100 hours a week and burning out really quickly. So I have to be very cognizant of that because that mindset does creep in. Like I see, uh, you know, people like As- uh, Aspiring Spike is a good example. He puts in a lot of work right now. And I think at some point he's going to have to, you know, r- rein it in. Maybe he just ends up loving it and is fine doing it. I don't know. Like, you know, uh, you know, but... To me, like if I were putting in the same amount of work that he does, and I'm I'm I have to assume that he's putting in at least eighty hour weeks. Yeah, he's so. streaming for thirty five or forty, and I know he does work off stream, and you you know the and that's just work on, like working on his decks. Like he talks about it all the time, he he puts in eighty hour weeks. Yeah, yeah, easy. So you know that kind of stuff would burn me out really really quickly. Um, and, and so I I but I always feel that pang where I'm just like I could be doing something like that. Not to say that like I could be aspiring spike, right? But like I could yeah, I could have it, yeah. a more successful stream right now. I could have I could be a lot more active in that part of my life. But I've decided I I get to make that decision that I would much rather have a, a better work life balance, and I'm not going to be as successful of a magic player or a magic content creator. Uh, I'll be you know as successful as I want to be, but I'm also going to have lot make or you know make lots of room in my life for these other things that I want to do. Whether it's you know working with the Hope Center that uh, I do regularly, or just you know playing basketball a couple of times a week with the people here. And you know we're talking about we were going to play basketball tonight actually, which is why I wanted to record early today. But we're, uh, the rain is moving in a little earlier than intended, so we might play a little poker tonight. You know, and I nice. like that flexibility. Like I like to be able to like not have every part of my day scheduled. Uh, to, to swing back to the last question, like real quick, I just thought of something. Um, another match that always stands out is what I consider to possibly be one of the greatest and definitely most entertaining matches of all time. It's uh, Chapin versus Nassif at Worlds in like, what is it, 04? It's, uh, it's later than that. It's like oh, Chapin Nassif Worlds is like 07. Yeah, it's, uh, you, should, you should definitely Google and watch that one. It's bonkers. Just utter, like Nassif, it's a Nassif, it's like a one percenter or like less than yeah. That. And, and it was a well played too. match, but generally it's just entertaining. Yeah. I, I, if you want to talk about best played matches of all time, I would look at the 08 Kyoto finals, yeah. the Nassif LSV. Yeah. That I'm match is incredibly well played from both sides, and there is under ten people in the world that I think, um. Win it from the winner seat. I won't, I won't keep spoil up. it if you haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, I, I like the person who won. I think there's under ten people in the world that win that match from that person's seat. It was, uh, it's unbelievable. All right, and Daniel Sweet tweets us. Uh, this is Spike U. I like I like this name. Um, which standard set do you think has had the most overall impact on Magic since you started the cast? Can keep it limited to impact on Pioneer if that's easier. Also, which one of you is Barrister and which one of you is Man with two ends? Uh, well, obviously for the first one, the answer is Throne of Eldraine. Did that come out while we were, did it come out before we were doing the... No, when we, we did the podcast, we started in, in 2019, before the pandemic, and Throne so, came yeah, out. It's just Throne then, yeah. Oh, wait, Throne might have been just the most recent set when they announced Pioneer. That's what I'm saying, like, I, I, if it, it, let's just say it's not Throne. Let's say that's not in there, then what's well, the most impactful set since then? Then, then the answer has to be Ecoria. Yeah, I think so, right? too. Yeah, just the, I mean, the way com- companion was just so good. Th- Theros Beyond Death is somewhat close second, but not really. Like Theros really just has Uro, but uh, yeah, Akoria with the, the companion. Yeah, I gotta, gotta I gotta it. say the, the those two by far, yeah. just because like they had the the most impactful specific cards that like changed magic. 
in yeah. a lot of ways. And, and very clearly, I'm Barrister and Tannen is man. Yeah, that sounds good to me, sure. Um, yeah. I'm the word that nobody isn't quite sure what it means. <laughs> sure. Uh, Chris, also known as Spark Trooper, says, your least favorite sport to watch and or play? Least favorite? Um, Do you want me to answer? Well, I, I would say le- least favorite to play for me would have to be hockey since I can't ice skate, right? That's But that's kind of a, a trivially... My answer is very similar. It's like... It's tennis for me is my least favorite to play because I can just like never get it down. And I used and like every sport that I've played, I've had like my learning curve is higher. You get what I'm saying? Like I'm just naturally decent at it. I might not be yeah. great at it, but I'm naturally just decent at it because, you know, I know what's going on. I know what's expected of me. And like I'm somewhat athletic, which I mean, I'm getting less and less every day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, with tennis, but so like, is everyone else. So you're it still- was the, yeah, it was like the hardest one for me to always be like, I just suck at this. I don't understand why. I was like, okay. I was at least okay at everything else. Um, least favorite to watch though, probably like NASCAR. I just don't get it. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't oh, do yeah. it for me. Oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good one to watch. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, definitely. I'll, I'm taking that answer. That's a good one. I enjoy golf though for everybody at home that like, you know, is going to be like, oh, golf's the answer. I'm like, I actually enjoy golf. So, but I actually play it. So any sport that I have like the capability of playing, like I'll enjoy though. Like I, I can play. Oh, I, I will say. The one I don't, the one I like the least though is volleyball. I'm not a big fan of volleyball. I don't know exactly why, but yeah, I've never, I've never enjoyed it that much. This is from um, Dylan Dilta Thrill, I think is the name, whatever. So, if you could change one mechanic that's not quite there and make it playable in historic, pioneer, or modern, uh, and or modern, which mechanic is it, and how would you make it better, more playable? Um, I wish the, I don't think you would have to change the party mechanic but i really I wish that mechanic was just a little bit more supported you, you wish it was relevant at all yeah it just need it just yeah well honestly i don't think it was that far off i played some pretty powerful party decks i think it just needed a, uh like there, there were plenty of of warriors and there were plenty of um it's warrior wizard rogue and cleric there were plenty of clerics so those two you had pretty well covered and you didn't have many rogues or wizards, and I think you needed a, like one or two more of those creature types that were also just solid creatures, and in particular, like a creature that interacts well, kind of like a like reflector mage, which is a wizard. Uh, but uh, I'm talking about for standard generally. Um, uh, so like something like that would have gone a long way there, and I think that deck is one that is is fun to promote because. It, it has obvious lines to interact with it. Just, you know, good creature removal will, will break up the synergies, but when it, like, it does powerful things, um, and, uh, like, I I was so disappointed when AFR just shat all over it. It was like, you yeah. know what? We're actually going to make everything a bunch of weird creature types just to avoid the party mechanic entirely and also make Wynota busted, but, uh, you know, go fuck yourself, I guess. So I, I just... I was so excited for a party this summer, and then my party didn't happen. I'm going to answer this question, but I also want to like make a mental note here for both of us, because I think one of the questions later, if we get to it, can kind of come back to this one and use it as a good example for one of the answers, and we'll see that in a minute. Um, for me, just off the top of my head, if I had to think about it, I would have liked a standard for a little while where we just banned Luris, banned Yorion, and gave us the old companion rule. 
to see if the like the non-broken ones, which like at that point maybe Obosh is probably too good. Like Team or Obosh might have been too powerful or whatever. So like maybe you do away with that one as well and let us just play with like the crappy quote unquote crappy companions. Let, let, you know, let us try to loot tree people. <laughs> yeah, I I just want to loot tree people really bad. That's like that's totally my jam. That's just off the top of my head. If I if I'm sure if I like you know thought about this a lot more. You know, there's there's some some stuff I can uh, definitely come around with that. All right, so let's see here. Let me see. I'm moving over to a different one. Um, all right, here's a good one. This is from Candy Bar Hipster, uh, Mister English Twenty Two. Ask a lot of questions that are kind of stuff. Love love his questions. If you weren't doing MTG stuff, what would you be doing for a living? Is it just math, Ross? <laughs> yeah, that was the other career path I had. So yeah, I would be doing some sort of mathematical research. Um. Probably something something discrete, certainly something in the, the algebra number theory realm. For me, it would probably be like I, I guess I can't say poker because it's like too similar, right? You know what I mean? Just be like that's just a, a cop out kind of answer, right? Because it's eh. the same. It's like I mean, it's probably thing. true, but it's probably true, but like maybe some sales thing related wise or something, or maybe I just like actually applied myself more in school and did something serious from there. I'm not sure. I've never really the typical nine to five has never really ever appealed to me. And every time I've tried to do it, I have not enjoyed it very much. But I've also, like, never had kids or, like, a, a horrible mortgage or, like, student loans. I'm very, uh, what's the right right word for there? I'm very, I'm very uh, privileged when it comes to that. So I've never, like, had to do that to survive kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that plays a lot into it. All right, this one from Cathal. There was a lot of debate a while ago on what's the most powerful set besides Powered One. Uh, ever was people are arguing about Urza's Destiny, Modern Horizons Two, Throne of Eldraine. Which set do you think it is, and why? Um, which Urza set has all the broken stuff? Is it Legacy Saga? I mean, Saga. They, they all have some broken stuff. Like Saga has Academy. Yeah, the Urza block was like yeah, pretty and absurd. Then, and then Legacy has Memory Jar, and then Destiny has Bargain. I don't think least. the answer is Modern Horizons 2. I do I do not think that's correct. I kind of I'm that's what maybe. I'm leaning actually. Well, maybe maybe it is actually with all the commons being as good as they are too. The big thing for me is that it has all 10 fetch lands. And I when I evaluate things, I think people I think overall the biggest Wait. mistake people make when thinking about magic and in answering any questions like this is dismissing lands. And they do it when they build decks, they do it when they play like Lands Wait, are what, what, what make all, magic. What has all 10 fetch lands? Modern Horizons 2 does not. It doesn't? It only has the... It doesn't have all of them. It has half of them. Well, that's still more than most sets, right? No, I guess that's how, it's, that's how it always is. You get, like, half. Yeah, they keep, they keep only giving it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, but it but still has, it has fetch lands. That's an that's an important thing for me. Okay, I guess that answer is actually really good now that I think about yeah. it. Yeah, I, I forgot about fetch lands. But if, if no other set has... So, like, Z Zendikar has... But Zendikar has had five fetch lands, right? But then Worldwake was the more powerful set because it's the one with Stoneforge and Jace. It's the one with the cards, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spells, so that's yeah. a problem. Um, you know, Onslaught is obviously not close. That's where the, the OG fetches are from. And, like, Khans isn't going to get there. So, they're like, you know, w w I get like, you could say Throne of Eldraine. Uh, you really could. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Once Upon Agreed. a Time, Oko, uh, and... Um, there's a bunch of other stuff. Um, I also think that that people get kind of lazy when they talk about most powerful sets, and they generally reduce that to what are the most powerful cards in like vintage, because vintage is also the most powerful format, right? Yeah. But 
the reality is vintage is a format with a lot of like access to cheap mana and cheap cantrips and things. And that affects the power level of other cards. And so I'd like to look at, I like to think about what cards are really good across multiple different contexts. So cards like Deathrite Shaman would suffer under that, but cards like Ignoble Hierarch and Noble Hierarch increase because like those are going to be awesome cards in any standard environment that they're in, even even if the cards around them are low powered. Whereas Deathrite Shaman like requires specific cards to enable it, namely fetch lands. Um, so that actually matters a lot more to me than to most people when I'm evaluating these things as well. Um, so honestly, like I think MH2 and Throne are are two that are way up there. And I think everyone who wants to default to all the Urza sets is thinking with that mindset that I described, where like, if we have a bunch of broken mana available in the format, then, you know, Yogmas Bargain is great. But is anyone playing Yogmas Bargain in standard? Yeah, I don't think so. Exactly. I think <laughs> yeah, your answers like... are really, really good. All right. This next one I think is going to answer it a lot by me. So we'll, we'll see here. Um, what are your thoughts on the banned days discussion that's been going on in Legacy as of late? Both before the Dreadhorde ban and now with Ragavan, i.e., uh, should Watsy try to nerf the Delver Shell overall with a ban like Days, or should they just keep banning these threats that snowball way out of control if the Delver Shell gets to incorporate mostly free? So, uh, this is from Catatonic Wallers. You, you hit the nail right on the head there with the problem. Anytime you print these undercosted or extremely impactful one or two drop creatures, they just get slotted into the Delver deck way too well, right? And so that's where the discourse of like, well, we can't really, you know, if you ban Delver from the Delver deck, like most of them aren't even playing it anymore. And if you ban Dragon Race Chandler or you ban Ragavan, they'll just play the Delver. You know what I mean? Like, so banning the one drops doesn't actually, the one drop creatures doesn't actually seem like an answer to the deck, right? Um, the thing I ask here and is, do you think the format is better as a whole with days in it or with days out of it? Like, if you take days out of the format, the Delver deck kind of isn't really the Delver deck anymore. You know, it becomes a lot softer to the to the the quick decks and the decks that you need days early in the game for. And a lot of the people that I see really pushing this agenda are people who play decks like Storm or play Reanimator. And I'm like, D-. and I think that it's it's understandable to, to hear from them that they want this card gone that like makes their deck not as good right like they want their deck to be good that's fine i understand that but here's the thing and obviously this takes forever when it comes to legacy they take forever to ban stuff you know blah 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 if they ban days how long do you think after that it takes to ban the storm deck like let's let's say it all like banning days makes the storm deck absurd then you just got your deck banned too and like you have to think about the the the, the cascading effect here it's like when they ban treasure crews they also banned dig through time because they were like, that's just what they're going to do. They're just going to play Dig Through Time instead. So it's not a one-for-one one question where you're like, oh, we just banned days and we're good. If you do that, the format literally topples on itself. Like, it just flips. And a bunch of stuff changes. And, like, maybe that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Obviously, I'm a Delver player. I, I enjoy the card days. I think it's a very important part of the format. And I get it. The Delver deck's been the best deck forever. It's, it's been the best deck f- for so long. I get it. You know, people want that to change. But, like, I, it, it's not... It's it's almost... Every time it's been, like, oppressively good, they've done something to fix it. And I'm not sure it's oppressively good. I mean, it's very good, but, like, people are figuring it out and stuff. So, like, I think you have to give it a little while longer and stuff, too. I just... Overall, my 
my gut says no. And I was very vocally saying that DRS and probe probably should have been banned when they were banned. I was like, yeah, it sucks for me. Obviously my, my win rate was, you know, absurd with the deck, but like I saw the problem. And on this one, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I, I think the big question for me is, you know, now that your threat base has been significantly upgraded, what would it mean for you to have to play spell pierce instead of days? Are you still going to have, are you still going to have a, a huge edge in the combo matchups or is that going to, you know, give you the edge you need against combo, but then make you a lot weaker against some other decks that are more creature heavy, like, uh, you know, death and taxes or, or something elves. like that. Yeah. Uh, or elves. Is that going to open up space for those decks? So I, I would, if, if, if I wanted to make this argument, I would have to have a good idea of what the st- what the strengths and weaknesses of a current Raghavan DRC, you know, quote unquote Delver deck in Legacy are if they're forced to play some, you know, number of those one mana counter spells. I said Spell Pierce, Miscast, Flusterstorm, Mystical Dispute, like any any that's of those. That's what you would see. That's exactly yeah. what would happen. Like that's and, what would happen. And I'm. I, I think that could balance it correctly because, like I, you said, right too. now, they just have too many good one-mana options. When it was just Deathrite Shaman and Delver, you could ban one of them, and now you've significantly slowed down the deck because they only have the four one-drops. But anytime they have eight good one-drops, you know, 2012, Nimble Mongoose counted, now it doesn't. Uh, but now they have three options. They have DRC, Raghavan, and Delver. So if you wanted to attack them that way, you'd have to ban two out of the three cards which is, you know, a, t- a tough, rough beats, and you want to avoid doing stuff like that. So the the operative question for me is, how does that deck look with DRC, Raghavan, and some one-mana cantrips in the deck? And if that creates a healthier metagame, then I go for it. If I don't think that creates a healthy metagame, then I don't. But I can't answer that specific question. But I think that is the key question to answer. I think your answer is really, really good, too. Honestly, like, you know, added on to mine, especially, like, I think your answer is great. 100% agree with you. You would just see a lot of, like, Flusterstorm, Spell Pierce, and stuff be, you know, jammed into the deck main and stuff like that. So, and, it, and, and then, like you said, the format starts to change. Like, you see, you know, if Storm starts to get prevalent and Reanimator starts to get prevalent, you start seeing the, the deck start to, you know, change their main decks to beat that. And then all of a sudden, here comes in, you know, Death and Taxi. Here comes in Elves because they've found this, you know, this niche in the format where you're like, Hey, eight of your cards main are just really bad against me. And you know, you're not you're not bred for the mirror where you just have a bunch of room. like that's the one bad thing about elves is like anytime the creature decks like the Delver deck has been good, creature removal has been better. And so elves has gotten splash damage as, as a uh, as like a side note. You know, I just, oh, I just happen to have seven bolts in my deck, so like I can just <laughs> kill your thing every turn. All right, a uh, really really good discussion. I, I could go on for like an hour about that one, but uh, Zaggers wanted to know. Uh, what's your guys' thoughts on the newer set structure? Each set is on a different plane as opposed to the old one where each plane is two to three sets. I'm going to answer kind of first here because this is where I kind of wanted to to loop back around to the to the other question we had where, like, you know, if you could change one mechanic that's not quite there, this is one of the problems that I have with the way that sets are now when we don't have, like, a flushed-out block. You don't get as much cool stuff out of blocks, right? Like, think about how cool the party mechanic could have been if we had, like, multiple sets that involved party, right? Like, it's very more possible... Um, that that would have been a relevant ability, right? You see themes really start to emerge, you know? And I actually really liked that theme because you didn't just have decks centered around the powerful cards. You also had, what's the word I'm looking for here, Ross? You had kind of like a like a theme, a thematical, you know, thing come out of the block where the, you know, the synergies of the decks were, be- were good too. So you had like synergy decks and you had like raw power decks and stuff. Yeah, too. 
And you know, I do, I do agree with you. I think either, um, I think it's led to two issues. One, it's either formats where just the raw power decks are, are the best or formats where you have to make the synergies in an individual set so powerful to compete that they start dominating everything else. And it's more difficult to find answers because it's so hard to build the decks that go across the sets because they're, they're all so thematically different. I think that was one of the issues that happened with Throne of Eldraine. They just pushed a little bit too hard on the adventure mechanic, and none of the other sets had synergies that could compete, nor could they band together to, you know, fight Thanos effectively. Sure. I love your references to movies you've never seen. Great. Yes. Um, Still very... appropriate references, though. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're the Avengers. I like it. Uh, great question, uh, Zagers. Adam Wasimo uh, asked, I don't even think he's in America right now. I think he's in, uh, he's in like the Middle East right now. I, mean, I, was, I forgot exactly where he is, but he was like Hopefully traveling. Hopefully not Afghanistan. Bit. Yeah. No, no. He was, it was more um, like a... Anyway, I'm just going to not make myself sound stupid because I can't think of the words and I'm going to make myself sound stupid. Yeah, you're but, just going to uh, say a country in South America. And <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say the wrong thing, exactly. So hopefully safe travels for him. Or I think he's in Peru says. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the Eiffel continent. Tower. <laughs> yeah, wrong continent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he asks, who's your favorite person to play against? Um, so I, I can answer this while you think because I have a few answers. So like Jonathan Sukenik. Yeah. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah, he he is both incredibly good, and it's very challenging to play against him, especially if he's playing a control deck, uh, and incredibly lighthearted about everything. So the match is both simultaneously like intense but light and fun, uh, but all, always very rewarding. So Jonathan Sukenik. Oh, that's a really good answer. Um, for me, there's like a couple different ones for different reasons, and I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the answers better, but like. Uh, I gotta say Jerry Thompson was one of the ones for me, and it's not because our, our games are, like, inherently great or anything like that, but for some reason, I still got nervous playing against him, and it reminds you that you're human, you know what I mean, it made me feel younger, does that, does that make sense, you know, I kind of, like, went back to a day where, like, you know, my first times, like, playing competitive magic, yeah, you're you wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, yeah, it just like you know brought me back and stuff like that. So like that was always really really cool. I always had like a, a very good time playing him. You know, we always had a nice discussion too. You know, we're friends, so like we could talk on a personal level, and then we get real serious and start playing. And it was always good games, good matchups. And then uh, I usually just got worked. Like for the first like five times I played him, I think I was like oh five or like oh six, and then I won the last couple times I've played against him. And like I was nervous. I punted really bad in one of them. I don't think I played my best in another one because you're like, oh my god, I'm playing against Jerry Thompson, kind of thing, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that, and there's like the like you know the, the local players and stuff like that. You know, like the personal close personal friends. I think are some of the like the most fun that I have playing Magic is like if I can ever get like a cube going with a group of people. So I know that's kind of like a cop out answer where I'm not giving a specific person, but uh, definitely that kind of thing. Yeah, you already gave a specific person, so you're fine. Sure. The only the, uh, the only problem with the cop-out answer is if it's your only answer. Sure, sure. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's like Carn Noel, Carney Noel, or something like that. Uh, they say what card always beats you, and you can never beat anyone else when you play it. Go ahead, Ross. Um, I am going to go with. So for a while, it was Bomat Career. At least while that card was in standard, my Bomat, like my opponents would always have Bomat Courier when they were on the play and I didn't have the answer and it would draw five cards. But I've since won some games with it in Pioneer playing Is It in Soul. So I kind of turned around uh, with that one. Um, 
Um, what other cards are really bad when I played them? I, I know they exist. I'm just having a hard time picking them out. Um, cards that I tried to play and did not do a lot of winning with. Um, uh, my answer is Aether Vile. <laughs> I won a lot with Vile, so I can't say that. I mean, I did well with humans in like one event that I played it in, but like every time I play like Death and Taxes or like any of the other stuff, I just get crushed. And then, like, every time I play it, they just always have, they just always vile me a one, and they always go, like, one, two, three, four, like, with a mom. Can, like, can I say you... Tron lands? I never, like, I've literally never win on Versus Live when I play sure. Tron, and I well, never just... win playing Eldrazi Tron, so Tron lands are also up there for sure. me. So just Urza's Tower. Yeah, Urza's, Urza, yeah, Urza's yeah, just, Tower, yeah. Just, just talk with me a little bit before you do it. All right. I mean, um, I mulligan a lot. It's just that literally no hand I ever draw mm -hmm. creates Tron. Uh, sure. <laughs> I just I just keep drawing hands, hoping to create Tron, and it never happens. Sure. Uh, so Flackle says favorite power ballad. Um, is is Queen considered a power ballad? Like some of the yeah, certainly. Yeah, like they're they're they would have power ballads. I think I think Queen's a good one for me. Um, but what song specifically? You're just gonna go I mean, Bohemian like, Rhapsody. I mean, obviously Bohemian Rhapsody is great. Like you know, I was a huge Wayne's World fan when I was a kid. Yeah. So like, obviously that was like pretty big in the early '90s. I actually enjoyed the Queen movie, so I like that one a lot. Along with like you know, We Will Rock You. You know, like all all the other stuff. Like those those songs are pretty great. I've karaokeed. I want to know what love is. Okay, that's a good one too. Um, yeah. but also I want to uh, know what love uh, is. Yeah, I've karaokeed that. <laughs> uh, November Rain. That's a November good one. Rain's a good one. Um, I'm sure there's something I'm I'm missing. Yeah. You can come um, back to it in a second too, if it, if it you know. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll keep, we'll keep thinking about it. All right, next one is uh, who is the most intimidating opponent opponent you've ever played against? What is the worst deck you've ever played in a tournament? I guess for me, I, I I don't know if I could say anyone was more intimidating than Jerry for some reason or whatever. Just it's just the way it is for me. What's the worst deck you've ever played in a tournament? Um, I'm not sure I have an answer. I think you have an answer to this right away. So if you want to go, while well, I think. Uh, I mean, I would certainly say the the affinity deck I played at the first Modern Pro Tour in Philadelphia was Heinous. Um, oh yeah, I've heard the story a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, that that one's definitely up there. That's 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 probably number one. It was so bad. God, it was so bad. It was so bad. I remember playing a deck when Wolf Run was like the big deck in Standard, and I, it didn't have a name. It was like it was just Rug. It was just like this Rug deck that I built. And I built it to, like, you know, beat the popular decks in the meta. And, like, I was winning with it for a while. And then I played it in tournament. And I was like, this is not it. You know, <laughs> you play it and you're like, I just felt so underpowered. And, like, everything that. And, like, I played the... Do you remember... What's the uh, creature that's, like, when it's in your graveyard you can ca or when it's in play, you can cast night spells from your graveyard? Hacken? Yeah, I was going to say Hacken. I played a Hacken deck once. I was like, this deck is just awful or whatever. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong there. So. Yeah. Um, intimidating people to play against. Um, Seth Manfield is actually up there for me. Why did you have to say his name? <laughs> that smile. <laughs> um, I, like Seth is one of the people I've played where, like, after we're done, I just feel like he was playing on a different level than I was. At least, like, or not not just a different level, but like a level I couldn't comprehend. Or, make you feel or a level I didn't comprehend, I should say. Yeah, it like, makes you feel unsure about yourself. Like, he, he was doing, he was thinking about things that mattered that I was never thinking about. Mm -hmm. Like, I've played against other good people where I'm just like, yeah, like, they just, you know, they played at, like, 98% to my 92%, right? 
and like I just made some like small sequencing mistakes and things like that, or I like gave up a little bit of information here with a play I made or like a subtle thing I did, like those kinds of differences where it's like, I think, you know, if I'm playing my absolute best, I could have still won this match. Seth is one of the people where I felt like I could have played literally as well as I possibly can. I still don't think I would win. Yeah, I get that. Um, For me, it's more like, obviously I've said that I was like intimidated or whatever by Jerry sometimes, but anytime that I would, you know, play against a big name to play or whatever, I almost took, you know, I took it as a challenge. You know, like I want to rise to the challenge. I want to play well this match. So it wasn't like, I was like inspired more than intimidated most of the time. PV is up there too. Uh, see, I, I, I'm not sure if I've say, ever beaten him. I think I'm like 03, 04 or something. I'm like 4 or 5 against PV. In my life. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, and he talks about it every time we play because his memory is absurd. So he always, and it's always like five years. So, you know, it'd be like, you know, five or six years since we played. And he'd be like, yeah, you know, I remember you from this, you know, thing. And you're playing this deck. And I'm like, I don't know how you remember that, but sure. Yeah. You know, especially when I was like a no name, no name. You know, now I'm just a regular no name, but. <laughs> All right. Eternal Madness uh, asked a question that we've kind of already answered. It's like, uh, this is a little self centered, but what's your favorite competitive match you've had on camera? So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. What's your least favorite that you've had on camera? Do, do you want me to answer first? Because I know. I mean, what's up? you know mine too. Everyone uh, knows mine. Which one is it, Ross? What is it? It's the Peace Ollie match. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the Hello Darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Um, for me, the least favorite match that we've ever had in camera doesn't always involve me being in the actual play seat. Ross knows this. Um, anytime that we've ever been in like the semis or the finals of a team open, and I no longer have the games in my hand, like my match is over with, I have a hard time sitting there and watching what's going on. Ross knows this. I've many times been like, hey, I need to go use the restroom, and I've not had to use the restroom. Yeah. I, just needed, I just needed to be away from it because I was going to get, I just couldn't take it anymore. Tanner like did this while I was mulliganing to five once yeah. playing humans. That's when usually what it is. is yeah. I'm, so, I'm so mad. I'm so over the moment that I'm just like, I, like you know, not again, not like this, like, yeah. you know, kind of things. And it's just, it's too much after a while. And like, it's just for my own mental health yeah. kind of stuff. I, w- I won the game, got over it, and, uh, you know, told Tanner to get ready for the finals. And. <laughs> Well, we promptly got cr- crushed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so uh, we had multiple questions that uh, went into this. Uh, so I'm going to ask this one. This is from Snap Bolt Baral. How's Ross bottom after that tragic slip? <laughs> I the, my the bottom is fine. The fall actually, I leaned and I, I took a bit of a. I took more of the impact on my right elbow. So I have a right elbow contusion, and I should be considered day to day. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's funny because uh, Rob actually got on Twitter and asked a similar questions. What's the worst fall either of you has ever had? Ross, is, is this going to be the one when you were rushing to the airport and you had to um, like, clean up your wounds? Oh, yeah. That one's got to be pretty bad. I took one I'm as sorry, a... to the bus. To the bus. Yeah. It was, I, yeah, I, I had, uh, it was yeah before a team opened in Philly and I was taking an early morning bus and I woke up late. And so, I, and I hadn't packed, so I had to throw my shit in my suitcase and start running. And it's about a mile from my apartment uh, to the bus station. And I was crossing a street, and I'm, um, you know, sort of a light jog. And I went to hop up onto the curb, and I clipped the curb with my toe and just ate shit on the sidewalk. And it, it is still dark out at this point because it was like right after daylight savings time ended. It was mid October, and it's dark out. And I'm like lying on the ground and I'm just like, oh shit, it's a team open. Like I got to get there. And I remember yeah. d- distinctly like turning onto my stomach and doing the push up, and I just dropped back down. Like it, <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, nope. this is worse <laughs> than I thought. And yeah. so I took another 20 seconds and got myself up and I was like, yeah, got to keep going. 
And I literally turned the corner into the bus station as the last person was boarding. And they, I didn't have time to go to get a tag for my bag, which is what you need on Greyhound to put it underneath the bus in the undercarriage. And so I had to take the bat, my suitcase along with my messenger bag on the bus. And there was no space in the overhead. The bus was literally full. I mean, I took the last seat on the bus. And which was, of course, one of the seats in the very back next to the bathroom that smelled terrible because Greyhound bathrooms are a terrible place that you should never venture into. And so I'm sitting there with my suitcase sitting in my lap and my messenger bag also in my lap. And my arms are like cut up. I've got like scrapes everywhere. I'm trying not to make any contact with any surfaces on the Greyhound because I feel like I'm going to get an infection if any contact is made. You need a tetanus shot immediately. Yeah, and I get to – I have a, a layover in Richmond. So I got to go from Roanoke to Richmond, which is like a – for the bus, it's like a three-hour ride. Driving, it's like two and a half. And then we, and then I have a, like an hour or two before the bus that goes up north along the Atlantic coast up to Philly leaves – so when I get to Richmond, I get off the bus and I'm like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. And if you've ever been to the Richmond Greyhound station, the bathroom in there is also a terrible place that you should never venture into. And there was, I had like nothing. So all I did was take soap from the dispenser and just start hard rubbing it into awful. all the scrapes. That sounds awful. And then washing it off. And I actually found band-aids that I had put in my bag just in case I needed them because I, I think ahead like that. Was, that probably happened a year earlier, and I was like, oh, thank God Pastor Ross is so smart. And I just slapped a bunch of Band-Aids on myself, r- rode the rest of the way to Philly, got there. At like this, this is a 6 a.m. bus. It gets into Philly at like 5.30, and there was a CVS a block away from the Greyhound station in Philly. I walk in into that. I actually bought myself new clothes and a bunch of stuff to like dra- like larger bandages and uh, and then took oh yeah the, you looked rough that weekend yeah <laughs> then I took the, then I took the Uber to Valley Forge from downtown Philly and and finally got there but yeah that was a rough fall mm-hmm. uh, for me probably it was uh, so when I was younger a little known thing I was like really into track and field I was actually like very fast at one point I ran like all the sprints and everything and all the relays and uh, I took a tumble on a track doing an exchange of a relay. Like, do you know what I'm talking about with the baton? Yep. yep. Do you have any idea what that feels like? Um, were you receiving or giving? Uh, giving. I was, like, passing it off, and uh, did, I got spiked, too, as well. Did you... Oh, yeah, because now, like, you you can't really, like, fall and stay in Gracefully. your lane. <laughs> no. Yeah. It was, it was more than just me. And you do try to brace yourself, and if anyone's been on a track before, you, that's not a good idea. Yeah, with the with the the surface, yeah, uh, I lost up. a lot of skin. I was bleeding a lot, like and stuff, and I was tore up. Like, it it hurt bad. And stuff. So that one really sucked. Okay. Um. Let's see the next one. All right. Fuzzy Dan says, "What is the best way to prepare asparagus? Uh, you need to put a generous amount of olive oil, salt, pepper, and roast in the oven at like four twenty five for twenty five minutes or something like that. Yep. Literally, it's the, the only way to do it." snip off the the yeah the ends of the stalks uh asparagus also goes it works really well on the grill yeah a grill grill is also very very good i don't yeah. trust myself enough for that so that's how i do it also yeah roast to, is the go-to you need to have a good thing with asparagus otherwise it just it's like yeah 
Asparagus by the is way, t- toss with olive oil, salt, and pepper, roast at 425 for 20 minutes is how you can prepare literally any vegetable, and it will be delicious. You can do that to anything. Brussels sprouts, yeah. incredible. Carrots, great. Rutabaga, probably not. Any yeah, root, exactly. any root, root vegetable, not not leafy vegetables. We'll we'll dismiss those. Yeah. Uh, Jorab wants to know what's your pet card that you've gotten somebody with before. Example: I cast Quicken plus Grape Shot and the Storm Mirror once. That's actually really cool. Ooh. Uh, I mean, anytime you twisted image someone, I definitely played a lot of twisted images back in the day in like Splinter Twin when you'd hit their Spell Skite or their Noble Hierarch if they were Infect. Uh, so Splinter Twin's a good one. Uh, a pet card of mine is definitely Smallpox, and I've been playing with it in at FNM recently. I'm not playing with Flagstone, so I know I don't get the, like the full Smallpox experience. But yeah, anytime you get to like sacrifice a Blood Gas, discard a Gravecrawler, rebuy both creatures, like you know you're fucked kind of thing is great. Um, oh, back when I used to play Vintage, I used to sideboard City in a Bottle as my as an anti dredge card in shops. Do you okay. know what City in a Bottle does? I bet you do. Uh, I'm literally drawing a blank, but I do know what it does. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a two mana artifact that yeah. destroys all Arabian Nights cards other than it and prevents all other Arabian Nights cards from being played. Yeah, I was so, gonna say I, th- I thought it had something to do with Homelands for half a second. Yeah, that's, it's that's for the Arabian Nights. Yeah. So it it. So basically, like, if the, if because bazaars from Arabian Nights, like, they would you would destroy any bazaars they haven't played, and then they couldn't play anymore. So you you would lock lock them out in that regard, and then you just needed a piece of graveyard hate, and they were done. Um, so it was a good supplement to graveyard hate rather than like a seventh graveyard hate card. I would just play one city in a bottle. Um, but I, I the, so the other thing that they used to do is they used to play city of brass, and that was their way to generate some mana to like play nature's claim or whatever. And you know, vintage players always like the old printings of cards. Exactly. And the way the, so the, version, the yeah. ruling is different now, but back in the day, it literally had to be from that set. Now I think it might hit like all cards with a set symbol too. I, I don't know exactly how it works, but if they were literally playing the expensive, nice blackboarded Arabian Night City of Brasses, they got got. You, you also they also just could never kill it. And, and I remember getting one person with that, and they were just like trying to play City of Brass. I'm like, that's an Arabian Night City of Brass. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. It was, it was also great if you were on the play against Dredge, by the way, because you could just play it out and then they could never play Bizarre. Oh, correctively, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh for me there's two. One of them, um, I almost top aided an open back when they were one days with the card Rebuke in my deck. This is a two and a white for- instant destroy target attacking creature. Yeah. So it was when I was playing like the flash decks, you know, with yeah. like Resto Angel, Snapcaster Mage, blah blah blah. One of the decks that was really good against you was like the uh like the Naya attack you deck. And he did a card that could kill um, Thundermite Hellkite. Thundermite Hellkite. Uh, what's it's Hell the, the four drop Hell Rider and and Thunderball Hellkite. And that was like one of the biggest problems is there was not a lot of clean answers to both of them in the format, and the matchup was always a uh, was always a race. And so I tried like Burning Oil, but you couldn't kill the dragon as cleanly as you wanted. So I played one ver- like one copy of that card in my sideboard. And it came up multiple times, and I just, like, blew people... Like, I say blew people out with it. It was just good enough. It was not a good card to play, but that... And then my other one... Um, Ross knows about this. So, Peace Ollie's known for having the burn box. You know, the box of all the red cards for, like, Modern and Legacy and stuff so he could play his burn deck. I have that for, for Legacy. Like, Ross has seen me show up to Legacy event. I just have a box of all the cards that I could ever need. And at one point in time, you were supposed to be playing... If you were playing Delver decks, you were supposed to be playing Bug. And there was, like, when Abrupt Decay had, like, first gotten printed... So there's a lot of abrupt decays, 
and like him to Turok and stuff oh, like that going baby. around. Dino oh Carnivore baby, oh baby, yeah, it's an Odyssey rare, one blue instant. Yep, it's is called, it called Divert? It is called Divert, and uh, <laughs> this is a card that's one blue mana, like Ross says. And what it does is, is it can change the target of an it's an instant or sorcery or just instant instant or sorcery. Yeah, you can change the target of an instant or sorcery unless the opponent pays two. Because you can target him to Turok. So him to Turok targets, or my favorite is like you would have a Termogoyf in play, and they would have a Termogoyf in play or whatever, and they'd be like, abrupt decay your Termogoyf, and you're like, nope, you're going to abrupt decay your own Termogoyf, your buddy. And, and the game a, is over. <laughs> yeah, it's a blue card that flips, you know, young, I'm mean, sorry, flips young Pyromancer. It's a blue card that flips uh, Delver Secrets and pitches the Force of Will. So it's just a really cool one, and it was always a really big brain moment when you got it off. Like, you know, you got it off yours, like, yeah, you got yeah. it really, really good. Oh, so, Armitor asks, how does Ross feel about being the unluckiest Magic player alive? I mean, I've I've gotten lucky in plenty of spots. People just see and remember all of the yeah. times that I there's get a, there's unlucky. A, there's a video of yeah. it. Like, yeah, there's a YouTube that's a, video. All, all, all that's happened is that a spotlight has been shown on the times when I get particularly unlucky. So uh, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, I, well, I guess that's, you know, essentially what it means. And it's, you know, it's just whatever. Anytime I, anytime I you know, would get depressed thinking about those moments, I just look at the five trophies that I have, and I feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeoman5 asks, favorite cards from previous Innistrads? Um, so, um, you know, Snapcaster Mage certainly up there. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think, like, what cards I really liked playing in Limited. Oh, I loved Silent Departure. I always liked being blue in Innistrad, because I just fucking love Silent Departure, which was the best blue common. For those who, who weren't drafting back then, it's it's an unsummon that's sorcery speed, but has flashback for four and a blue. So you got to you like you would get the tempo early with the unsummon, and then later in the game, like right when they stabilized, you would flash it back to like kill them right at the end. So yeah, hundred percent silent departure. Yeah, favorite card of all time from it, Delver Secrets. Obviously, Snapcaster Mage is high up there. If it's a if it's a limited question, then it's Burning Vengeance. Yeah, it was, yeah it was like also my also persuader. was a big fan of the Burning Vengeance decks. But my other answer is all of them. All right. Anyway, I, uh, the next... I, I also liked playing blue white, so I could sign up to departure my Slayer of the Wickeds and get, yeah. get another FTK out of them. Exactly. Oh yeah. Gold says thoughts on changing the rotation schedule for standard. Obviously, something needed to be changed over the last few years, so I I really hope they consider it. But maybe it just doesn't even matter anymore. I I I, I liked it when they did it, and I, you know they got backlash from a lot of people that just wanted their cards to stay legal, and now you know they're getting sort of. The, the opposite from I don't know exactly who started this, but I've always liked the idea of rotating twice a year because I, I like the idea, especially now that the sets aren't even as closely related. I like the idea of seeing a couple sets that would normally live in another set shadow. Like you know, we've all we've only ever seen Ikoria and M twenty one with Throne and Theros in, but under a different schedule, you would get to see those without the the you know without living in the shadow of the couple sets before it. And that always happens to the spring and summer sets. And so I, I like the idea of seeing those sets in, in different contexts because it really does, you know, completely change how powerful cards are. And we, we see it happen even only rotating once a year where, you know, uh, Delver Secrets is a, is a good example. Like it was, what you know, a near ban worthy deck in standard for a year and then rotation happened and it was unplayable. <laughs> Just like context matters so much in Magic. So uh, I, I like the rotation just because I like seeing different contexts. I like when things change. You know, for me, the card availability is not nearly as much of an issue, so I understand that. 
Um, and I'm, I'm amenable to the other side of it in that regard. But I also think magic is just more fun when things are more dynamic. It also does benefit me as a content creator. You know, the more things change, the more things I have to write about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, back to a few more questions about other stuff. What is your worst travel story? Um, worst travel story. Um, I mean, falling down, that that might be the worst one. Yeah, that, <laughs> Having, it, that's easy. Yeah, it, it, that's it. That's it. But I also, I mean, I've had some long delays, but that's just like sitting in an airport. That's not nearly as bad as sitting on a Greyhound bus and got. Yeah, I've got two. Uh, one of which is short. One of which is a little bit longer. The first one. Uh, I went to Perth or London where they had the terrorist attack happen. So the trip back was like brutal. You know, I was in the airport for like 15 hours or something like, or 12 hours waiting for my flight. She had to go through security and it took forever to do everything. And there's, you know, people with guns everywhere. The other one is leaving the Roanoke Invitational and trying to get out of there to beat that snowstorm <laughs> that happened. When, <laughs> I, I remember this. If, it, do you, if anybody remembers coverage where like no one was letting the building other than the top eight competitors or whatever, um, I had to try to get out of there because I had something to do for work or whatever on Monday, and all, all the flights were canceled out of Roanoke. So um, one of my favorite judges, a man named Nick Saban, uh, heard about my stuff. I you know, put it up on Twitter. I was like, is anybody going anywhere else because I can't get a flight out of Roanoke? I need to get home. And he was driving to, I think it was Charlotte, North Carolina or something. It's like a three-hour drive or something like that. And he's like, hey, I can bring you there. And uh, so... I talked to the you know the representative for the airport person and they got me a flight out of there. It was really great because um the uh the the other uh, her name is Meg and she does a lot of like head judging and stuff. Meg Rickman. Um, she gave me extra time in one of my matches because I was like on the phone like trying to get all this done while the invitation was going on. She's like, hey, I can give you ten minutes at the start of the round because I know they're gonna put you on hold and stuff a lot. And it was really easy because she also uh, knows sign language. So I'm across the room signing at her like, hey, I need like five more minutes. And she's like, okay. And like, you know, like we don't have to have her like come over there. So that was really cool. Anyway, so he brings me to Charlotte. We get there in like at like midnight or something like that. And my flight is like super early the next morning because the snowstorm is coming towards Charlotte. So we're trying to get out, you know, ahead of that. Right. I remember getting up very early to make my flight and it's just covered in snow. So I'm like thinking that we're not even going to get out of there. Uh, me and like three or four other people leave this hotel in Charlotte to get on a bus to get to the to get to the airport, like a little shuttle. Also, this is one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me as a Magic player is we get on this bus. I'm the only male and I'm the only person probably under 45 or 50 on this bus. I got recognized as Tam and Grace, the Magic player on this bus. Think about that. Some like 50 year old woman is just like, hey, are you? T-? And I'm not wearing any of my Magic stuff. I'm in like normal clothing and we're three four hours away from roanoke so there's nothing going on in the city at the time it was the most surreal i thought i was like i looked around thinking that another magic player had like come to roanoke and was was, like getting on a flight and they like they put her up to it or something you know what i mean i literally thought i was getting punked anyway so um you did your ashton kutcher check yeah exactly i looked around you know is Ashton kutcher here you know kind of thing Uh, i literally thought that in my brain yeah so i get to the airport all the babies around me are are well washed so he can't be here Somehow we make it to the airport. You can't even see the roads. It's just white, right? But we get to the airport, and the runways are still hot enough that the snow isn't sticking. So I was one of, like, the three flights to make it out that day because I was, like, one of the first flights, right? So I flew from there to Philadelphia, right? So in Philadelphia, it's, like, sunny and, like, 40 or 50, so, like, we're not having to worry about that. From Philadelphia, I had to fly to Dallas. Now, when I get to Dallas, I'm on standby, to make it home. And if I don't hit this one, I don't get home that day. I have to stay in Dallas for the next day, right? And so I went up to the front desk and I was not the only person on standby on this flight or whatever. And I went to the front desk 
and like you know they knew my story or whatever because you know I've been going through multiple already been through multiple airports and I go up and talk to her and she's like hey like I'll do what I can because I was like uh I need to be home for my family and stuff too I forgot you know there's there was a lot of stuff going on or whatever and um so I tell them all that and she's like look I'll try to bump you up to the top of the line and I'm just sitting there waiting for my flight. It's super crowded in all the airports because, like, there's the snowstorm of the East Coast. So, like, everybody's being diverted to the hubs, like Atlanta and Dallas and stuff. So, and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a bunch of people. They let one person on the flight that's a standby and they call my name. And I remember it was like a movie moment. People started clapping and stuff because everybody around had, like, heard the story. You know, we're all sitting there chatting because, you know, we had to sit there for, like, a few hours and stuff. So, I get on that flight, make it, and then make it back to Baton Rouge or New Orleans and then have to drive, like, another hour, hour and a half to get home. All said and done, I think it took something like 28 hours or something like that to get home. And I got to sleep for like a few hours. Like I paid $100 to get a hotel room at one point during there. So I could sleep for a few hours. But like, I think that took the most out of me. That one, like, I think I was like the most tired after like everything. I just like didn't want to talk. You know, I was like, just don't talk to me. Leave me alone kind of thing. So that one was crazy. I did have one where I was just basically delayed all day and there was literally just not a representative in the airport to talk to. So I had to do everything over the phone and they literally did not make an announcement that a flight was canceled until after the departure time. And I eventually, I I didn't even, uh, I found out by calling and they told me it was canceled and then they put me on another flight and then that flight wasn't going to get in time there in time to make my connection anyway because it had already been delayed so then i called back again oh i'm actually skipping forward the first time i called to try to rebook they told me because it was an i booked through american airlines but it was operated by alaskan airlines so i initially called american and they said your flight is operated by alaskan you have to talk and rebook through them and then i called alaskan and they told me your flight was you paid american airlines to book through them so even though we're operating you have to rebook through them so they both just sent me to the other yeah. person. Been, been, done, been there, done that. Yeah. yeah, it's always fun. And yeah. when I called, so then I called American again. Then they rebooked me, but they rebooked me on a flight that wasn't going to work with, because I noted uh, as soon as I like got off from them, I looked at the board and saw it was delayed, which they didn't tell me. And then I recalled, I was like, this flight you put me on has been delayed and I'm not going to make my my connecting flight. And so then I had to like go through an extra flight. I, I, I had to, I was going to Portland and I ended up having to go to Seattle instead and then take a very a later flight to, from Seattle to Portland and finally get there. And the kicker was I was literally flying on my birthday and all I wanted to do was get in. And I had a friend in Portland that I was going to meet for drinks and have a good time. Uh, and instead I just got to sit in an airport all day while literally no one was there to help me. There was just not a gate agent at any, like I walked around the entire, you know, terminal and just like, there was literally no one there. It was a fucking ghost town. Sounds awful. Uh, Joshua Millard wants to know, what are the first 10 albums that come to both of your minds? I'm super curious. Go ahead. Uh, My Aim is True, Elvis Costello. Blue, Joni Mitchell. Uh, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, but that's because Rob mentioned it earlier today. Um, Um... my hands on fire and other assorted love songs by old man ludica if you don't get you don't have to do exactly 10 you know, yeah like. um you know uh, oh the um uh truth by the jeff beck trio that's a fucking great album um yeah there there's a good assortment mm-hmm. for me it's probably like from under the cork tree from fallout boy 311 the 311 album um Oasis, what was it? Don't look back in anger. I think was the name of the album. The one I, know that was like the an, I know that's an Oasis song, but if that's yeah, the name I think of the it's the name too. of the. Uh, I think it might be the name of the album. That one, uh, Ten by Pearl Jam. 
Dookie by uh, Green Day. Um, what else? I think that, that like you know that really just popped into my head. I was more of a modern music guy than you. You know, I have another stuff, so. obscure one that's really good. It's good. Rob Tender by Jackie Whitren, J A K I W H I T R E N. She recorded it in 1973 when she was 19. Never released another solo album. Just spent the rest of her career making music with her husband. Um, but the album is unbelievably fucking good. Uh, hard to find, but ridiculously good. Also, um, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out by Panic at the Disco as well. That one was like really big for me and stuff too. So, um, Okay, and then one of the next questions. Let me find, let me find out back where I was. Okay, uh, what's each of your favorite decks of all time and also set? For me, uh, Innistrad is my favorite set of all time, and my favorite deck of all time includes a lot of insured cards. It was the the blue white or the blue white red flash decks from like standard, where you had Russo Angel. Sometimes you had um, Agent of what was it uh, something of Bolus, uh, the one three that looks the top three cards. Augur, Augur of Bolus, like uh, Sphinx's Revelation at some point. You know, Think Twice, Pillar of Flame, just yeah. You had a lot of like really underpowered cards. You had to play really well, and you had to maneuver a lot. It, I, it was the pinnacle of Magic, in my opinion. I thought it was like one of the best standards of all time. I enjoyed that deck. I would just if I could only play one Magic deck for the rest of my life, it's that one. Uh, my favorite deck of all time is the Simic Turbo Land deck that existed very briefly in Standard over like a spring and summer, uh, where you, it was a, a Jace the Mind's Golder Oracle of Moldaya deck with Explore and Lotus Cobra. And your win condition was get to 12 mana, cast Avenger of Zendikar, and time walk. Time warp. Uh, so, like, you just. Uh, so, it was sort of like a part ramp deck, part combo deck, but it was super fun because it had the cool engine to it. Um, so, big fan of that deck. And my favorite set of all time, Magic Origins. Nice. Very okay, fun standard format, very good limited environment. I won a lot. That's, that's the trifecta. Good. Yeah, that would not have been my guess. Good, so. good constructed, good limited. I win. You can't ask for more. Yeah, of course. Uh, Roger McFan wants to know, and that's McFan with two N's. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant gumbo? Uh, so I'm a vegetarian. I've had very little gumbo at restaurants. There was a restaurant here that actually closed during the pandemic that had a decent cup of gumbo. Um, but I'm sure you've had much better than I could ever. ever I, I do. Have, I do have a funny story from this. We're up in Portland once and we eat at this place called the screen door really famous restaurant there yep and uh yeah I'm, I'm there with a bunch of people one night and uh i do the thing that i do at restaurants when i look at a menu everything looks great i'm not sure what to do i just ask the waitress i'm like hey like what's really good on the menu like what are your favorite things and if she says any of the like you know a few things that i was like really looking at i'll just take it you know immediately and she's like well there's something in the menu that a lot of people order here because they don't expect it to be you know like you know good or they're not used to eating it and i think it's really good here and i'm like what's that and she goes you should order the gumbo and everybody at the table just like stops, looks at her, and starts laughing. And they're like, "What?" And he's like, "And someone just goes, he's from New Orleans." And she goes, "Oh, never mind. Don't order the gumbo." <laughs> She's like, "It's not that it's bad. Just don't order the gumbo if you're like from New Orleans." But um, I don't know if I have like a specific restaurant besides like some of the mom and pop Cajun places or like you know places like like here. Most places that make it make it too watery for for my taste. I like the roux and like stuff to be like a little thicker and stuff in it. Then I, I want it to be like a soup. You know what I mean? When I eat it, I don't yeah. like it being like watery and stuff. So, and, uh, so that's, that's like the, the answer to that, I guess, or whatever. So, um, this is from unserious player. They say, do you think magic arena is affordable? If a friend was not already into paper magic, would you recommend, or could you defend the price of magic on arena? I think the answer is just flat. No, 
I, I think it's a very predatory system. I think it's really bad unless this is the only way you can play and you don't, and if you're trying to be serious, I think it's completely unaffordable. If you're just trying to have fun and play magic and stuff on there, it it's doable. Yeah, you either have to spend lots of money or a ton of time. And then even then, if you're so far behind now, the time thing, like I've spent infinite time on it and I have all the cards and I have infinite like play cards and stuff, but like, I still have to buy gems every now and then to play, which is like really dumb too. Yeah, like I don't know, I just it just doesn't allow you to take any sort of a break. It's shit. I fucking hate it. Oh, I, I've been not playing it a lot lately. Like I've you know been going back and forth, and it's one of the things. It's like if I think something's bad and I don't like the way it is, like I probably shouldn't be supporting it in any way, shape, or form. Correct? You know. So, so yeah, I, I think overall, I think the program itself is cool and great. It's a great way to play Magic the um what's the word i'm looking for the the whole financial system of it is just heinous and very predatory i think it's a phrase that you and i use a lot so but yeah uh other than that i think that's about it on the questions for today so i think we can go ahead and start you know kind of doing our outros on the show here today just want to make sure we got one out this week um not a lot to talk about going on in magic this week with like yeah. you know a lot of the showcases we're getting posted yeah, the, the showcase. I'm assuming by next week we should have some more spoilers for Innistrad because we're getting with like about a month away now, yeah, right? Definitely. And so, I'm super excited about that. The uh, the four or five spoilers that we've gotten so far all seem to be pretty damn good and playable so far, and I have high hopes for what it's going to do in standard, especially with the rotation coming up, and that might get me to be playing Arena soon. So we'll see. Um, we're also not going to mention the low hanging fruit of like the MTG drama that's been going on on Twitter for the last week it's not really yeah it's not really our thing or whatever but a cool thing that you can do is you go check out our sponsor barrister and man that's man of two ends and make sure that you uh excuse me make sure that you give a look over that website take out a couple of things you know i'm a big fan of a few of the stuff they have there i love the soaps for one they all have like you know what i like about it ross not only the smells good they're not like overpowering it's more like a scent you know what i mean yeah yeah it's just like it accentuates a lot better you know but you get you get that nice clean feeling I, I think i've told you about like i have one of the mint ones and it like i don't know i just like the you feel clean you know kind of thing and then you smell clean as well and then like i said i actually ross can see me right now i'm i'm almost clean shaven right now i've been using my barrister man products uh, to do that and i've been swearing by it since the day that i got them so make sure you check out that that's barristerandman.com and use the code mtg rants for 15 percent off at your checkout ross if people wanted to hear more of your random rants about stuff or see ya, where would they go you can go to my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, that's the sort of one-stop shop place to keep abreast of all of my magic comings and goings, as well as some other things, and a good place to ask me questions, as I do try to get back to people as often as possible. Then there's my written content on Star City Games. My articles go up on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article is all about the Cascade decks, which did really well in Modern last weekend. And really trying to determine which one is better between Crashgate and Living End. I'm on the Crashgate side of things, and if you want to know why, um, you know th- that's a good article. And it also it's it contains it, the entire article leads towards a really good nugget about magic. So it's a it's sort of a sneaky theory piece too, uh, which I like about it. So if that's something that tickles your fancy, uh, I appreciate it if you check that out. Then there's Versus Live, the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games YouTube channel, or Twitch channel, sorry, from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, playing whatever is relevant for competitive magic, having a good time with it. We take questions live from the audience. Having a good time. Yeah. Having a good time. Sorry. So we, we uh, 
you know, we have a good time with it. We take questions live from the audience. So, uh, you know, it's to your benefit to catch us alive and get into the question asking. But if you can't do that, uh, they do get recorded and the VODs go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel the next day by 5 p.m. So you can watch them there. Uh, and then my stream, I'm, I'm almost fully settled. We sort of had to put settling in on, on a break during Jim Davis week here in Roanoke. So mm-hmm. I'm back towards finishing that up. I'm hoping to have everything set up by the end of August to start streaming again. Um, but I'll keep people abreast of that on Twitter as I get into it. And if you want to drop me a follow on Twitch beforehand so you get the notifications there as well, I'd appreciate that. I'm Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to see some more upright takes uh, you know, from you, where might they go? All right, you can find me on Twitch under just Tannen Grace. I haven't really been streaming much lately, but that all might change very soon. I should have we'll said see. erect takes. Everybody wants the the double the entendres. Yeah. yeah. After two, a couple weeks ago, yeah. And yeah. then uh, where we just like got delirious and giddy <laughs> for like 30 minutes, but uh, giggly. Um, but yeah, you can find me there under Tannen Grace and under Twitter at the Tannen Grace. And that's probably, like you say, your one-stop shop for everything. Uh, make sure you also check out the Twitter of the cast itself. That's at MTG Rants. Our Discord is very, very popular and uh, very active. I think popular is not the right word. I meant to say active. I don't know why I said popular. And uh, it's very active, a lot of cool stuff going on in there, and you can put in a lot of stuff there for like when we do our overrated, underrated, our mailbag submissions, and we have the the special areas in there for just our Patreons and stuff as well. So uh, yeah, make sure you check that out, and we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>